working on the book of Galatians. Uh, how many of you have enjoyed this series? I think it's been, it's been really good. Uh, you know, where the book of Galatians, if, if you're not familiar, if, you're, if it's, it's your first time here, the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. You say, well, I don't know where the region of Galatia was. Well, it's right in the heart of what is modern-day Turkey uh, today. And what happened, Paul went there and he planted, he started a number of churches in the region in the late 80, 40s, and, and maybe 50 A.D., around that. And so after he started those established church leadership, elders, deacons, all that, he went and started replicating that in a different location. He was a church planner. He went all around. And what happened is how he would communicate after he started church and left, he would write epistles or letters to just help the church stay on track. How many of you, you're on track one week and the next week you're not on track? The next month, you're not on track. And these were brand new Christians. I mean, Christianity was just starting and exploding, uh, you, know, you know, right there in the first century after Jesus left. And the churches would do good when Paul was there. But when he would leave, there were so many outside influences that sometimes they would get off track. And so he would write letters to these churches. And most of them were corrective in nature, trying to make sure they stayed on track. So let me tell you what happened. Uh, Galatians is written because right after Paul left there, a group of strict Jewish Christians uh, came into the church in Galatia, and, and they were Christians. They loved Jesus, but they were still focused on the law. And they started telling these brand new Gentile believers, these were non-Jewish uh, Christians, started telling them that, you know, hey, to, to be a really good Christian, to be holy, to be godly, you really have to, you have to keep obeying the Jewish law. Now, the Jewish law had come to represent 600 rules, regulations, duties, and obligations you had to do to, to fulfill the law. And so Paul is writing them. And again, the whole book of Galatians is about finding freedom in Jesus Christ and keeping that as you, as you move forward. And what we find is sometimes when we come to Jesus, we feel the freedom, we feel the peace, we feel the transformation. But if we're not careful as we walk with God, we can let a bunch of other things and what other people say come in and, and really affect our relationship with God. So the whole book of Galatians, Paul is telling them that, hey, I want you to stay free. Don't get bound up in the law. Don't get bound up in, in religion or duty. And just really, really try uh, to, 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 to stay free in Christ. And uh, what we learned is there's really two brands of Christianity. And the one brand is, is the law. And that's, you know, you know if you're under the law if you're trying to follow Jesus, but you have a set of rules you have to, have to do. And you're really focused on your outward behavior, your outward actions, and you're always trying to measure up. Well, the other brand of Christianity is just salvation through grace in Jesus Christ. And it's just so liberating. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah, we're going to sin. But the grace of Jesus covers us. And so we're motivated by our relationship with Jesus and not trying to outperform someone else. Here's the problem. If you're comparing yourself to someone else, they may be doing really poorly, so that's not a good measurement. Or they may be doing really well, and that makes you feel bad about yourself. So it's all about this relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Last week, uh, I was up in my office, and, and one of our members, a man, stopped by to just 
to talk with me and on the spur of the moment. And he came into my office and he, he said this. He's like, man, pastor, this series on Galatians has been so good for me. He said, I didn't know this, but what I found is I, for years and years, my Christian walk has been legalistic. I've been legalistic. I've always judged others. I've judged myself harshly. And he said, when you start talking about Galatians and talking about freedom in Christ and staying free and grace and salvation, he said, I've just been reading through the book of Galatians and it's been so liberating that I don't have to measure up to anyone. It's all about my relationship with Jesus. I don't have to be influenced by outside rules, regulations, legalism. Christianity is not a list of you have to's. It's a list of I get to's. I get to follow Jesus. I get to be forgiven. I get to receive his wisdom and guidance in my life. And, and uh, you know, so I just, I just want to throw that out there. If you've been bound up in, in legalism, if, if Christianity is about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, it's not that when we live under grace, it's not that we don't pursue godliness or holiness. It's just there's not condemnation if we fall short. And it's a whole different uh, set of rules. And this morning, we're, we're finishing up the series today. We're on chapter 6. And so the first five chapters, Paul has been talking about how to get free and how to stay free. And then today he talks about this. He says, when we find freedom in Jesus Christ, it comes with a responsibility that we as Christians have a responsibility. And so we're going to talk about this. We want to be free. We want to share God's freedom with others. Uh, but after that, we have a responsibility. And what we find sometimes is after we've been saved and after we get set free and after our lives get turned around, sometimes the church and individual Christians, we're not so concerned about the people around us. And, and when we experience the love of Jesus... We have a responsibility to also share the love of Jesus. And it's not Jesus, you know, the love of Jesus is enough to be in your heart and to share it with others and you're still full, okay? It's not like you're going to dilute yourselves and, uh, if you share some. Galatians 6.14, let's go to the book of Galatians. It says, Paul says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And I believe this is a picture of what freedom looks like. Paul is showing us that his life, it's no longer, it's no longer centered on a code, on a set of rules, on an Old Testament uh, commandment, but that his life is now centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, we know that he was raised as a spiritual leader of Israel, that he was a Pharisee, that he was thoroughly trained in the law. And that's how he lived his life, bound up in bondage and in rules and duties and obligation and criticism. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, he traded in the law for a personal relationship. He traded in 600 rules for one rule, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and so he's telling the Galatians, I've been under the law, and I've just been under grace, and grace is much better. I want you to be under grace. But also, this book is not only written to the church of, of Galatia, it's, it's written to us years later. And Paul is giving us an invitation to live in freedom. Choose grace over the law. Choose love over, over, over criticism. And, uh, you know, I was, 
when I was in the military, it was, I was 18 years old, I went in the military, and I was stationed in Fort Ord, uh, California, in Monterey, California. And so the unit I was attached to, we were, we were flying all over the world. We were, we were actually hardly ever in town for very long. Uh, but when we were, a friend, a friend, me and a friend, we decided that, you know, we really need to find a church to go to. And it's not like we can be weekly attenders, but it would be nice to have a church whenever we're in town to go to. And transportation was a problem, so, you know, we, we tried a couple off base, and then we realized, hey, right across the street from our barracks, you have to walk across, you know, a couple acres there, and there's a church right there, so let's go try that church. So we said, hey, let's go try it. So one Sunday morning, we went over there. Well, we made several mistakes. Have you ever gone somewhere and you realize that you made a mistake? The, the main mistake is that you went? <laughs> so anyway. We're under grace, so I'm going to tell it as nicely as I can. So the first mistake we made is that we were late. We were late. Now, we're 18 years old. So we walk into the church late. And the second problem was that we weren't dressed up to their standard. Okay? So, I mean, it's a little building. It's, uh, maybe, I don't know, it's like one section of our chairs. So we walk in, and, and uh, you know, there was no ushers at the door, no greeters at the door. So we, we barrel our way in and sit down. And as soon as we sat down... I noticed that the, the pastor's message now changed. And he was really concerned about these two heathens right here that had just come into church late looking really, really bad. But it wasn't just the pastor. We felt eyes. You ever feel eyes when you walk somewhere? I felt the eyes of the congregation. They were all concerned about our souls. So for the next 30 minutes, it's hellfire and brimstone and the law and immorality. And, and, and I told my friend, I'm like, man, should I leave? Should we just leave? And he's like, no, that'd be worse. I was like, I don't know. And so we made it to the service, and then after service, it was an ambush. The congregation ambushed us. And I remember one lady said, it's, uh, how long have you been here? I've been here six months. She said, and you're just making it to church. You need help. <laughs> so we got lectured so bad, and so we're walking across the field back to our barracks. I'll never forget my friend. He turned to me and says, man, Terry. I was really wanting to pursue Jesus today, but I really would just like a beer right now, you know? <laughs> hey, if church makes you need a beer, that's a problem, right? Well, what was the problem? The problem was they loved God and they were pursuing God, but it was through the avenue of the law of measurements. If you've got to measure up, you've got to look right, you've got to act right, and, and, and you've got to get with the program, you've got to dress a certain way. So let me give you, let me give you a little note. The experience, of, the experience of freedom, this is what it means for you. That I don't have to, I get to. If you have to do something in your life, if it's a duty, an obligation, then you're not free. And so think, think about this, you know. Uh, I don't have to read my Bible. I mean, God's not saying if I don't read five chapters a day, I'm going to hell. I don't have to read my Bible. I get the reward of reading my Bible so I can learn more about him. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. You know, I mean, if you have to force yourself to go to church because you're not getting anything out of it, you're not getting something, then you need to find a different church because church should, be, church should fill you with life. You should want to go because of what you get out of it and the encouragement. You know, I don't have to serve. I get to serve. Wow, what a privilege. Can you imagine the privilege? Think about it, the privilege that God has asked us to help build his kingdom, that he allows us to serve. What, that's an incredible you know, opportunity. 
And then, of course, you know, we don't have to give. We, we, we get to give. You know, you heard, heard of the story about this, this boy. He was 10 years old. And his dad came to him and said, son, ask me for whatever you want for your birthday. And, and I'll try to get it to you. And he's like, well, dad, I just want something very simple. He's like, what do you want? He's like, I just want to go to church on Sunday. And his dad's like, what, is there anything else that we could do? You know, he's like, I just want to go to church. So they went to church. They set it there, and, and he's like, I want to go on time so I can get the whole service in. So they go, and, uh, you know, church is going on, and they pass the offering, played around, and the dad took out a crumbled up $1 bill and put it in the offering plate. And so after service, they go to lunch, and the dad is complaining about service. The music was too loud, and it wasn't good, and nobody was friendly at the church, and the pastor talked too long, and what he said wasn't good. And he's going on and on and on. Finally, the 10-year-old boy looks at him and says, Dad, come on. you got to admit, for $1 is a pretty good show. I mean, you know, pretty good. You can't get much for a dollar, right? Galatians 5, 13 and 14, it says this. It says, my brothers, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I highlighted the word serve here because up to this point, Paul has been talking about our hearts. We need to be free. And he's been wrestling for our hearts. And, you know, when we serve others in love, it has to be out of a freedom level. If, it's out of, if we're under the law, Everything we do is, is kind of counted as credit to us to get in God's good standing. So we don't serve to get in God's good standings. We don't serve so we can get some check marks. We serve others to show the freedom that we have in Christ and hopefully uh, that they will find this freedom as well. Let's look at it another way, Galatians 6.2. It says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love another. So look at this. What, what, what's happening here is they had all these 600 rules of the law, and Jesus came. He says, hey, I have a new law for you. I have a new rule for you. Just love one another as yourself. And in Matthew twenty two thirty six, when they were asking God, Jesus about what is the greatest commandment in the law, and he said, he said love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest commandment. The second one is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. So the law had 600 things, and Jesus came and he reduced it down to one thing, love God and love people. That's two things, okay? But, uh, but that, that he, simplified, he simplified everything for us. So what we find is this, the, the secret ingredient to our, to our walk with God is love. You know, in the Old Testament, it was about duty and performance, but now the law of Christ is about love. And so the thing is this, is that when we experience the love of Jesus, we should be so happy to be able to share the love of Jesus with other people. Love in and, 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 and love out. And let me, See, here's the deal. When, when we experience the love of Jesus, it, it really changes the way, the way, that, we, the way, that, we, the way that we feel the way that we express things to others. As a matter of fact, even the natural realm, when you have a good experience, you share that with others. Is that right? If you go to a good restaurant, no one has to motivate you. Hey, share this with someone else. You say, next time you hear someone talking about 
Mexican food or whatever, tacos or whatever, you say, you say, well, man, I went to this great place. The customer service was good. The food was good. It was priced good. When we have a good experience, we, we, we naturally, uh, you know, want to share it. If, if you watch a funny video, if you see a funny video and you laugh and you're like, hey, I want some other people to laugh, so you share that on social media, right? And no one tells you to, but you're like, hey, I enjoyed that, so we're going to share that with others. What about, what about on social media when someone says something like, I bet you won't repost this? Come on, you've done it before? I bet you won't repost this, or I dare you to repost this. You know, I'm like, hey, they're right. They, their bet was right. I'm not going to repost it. That's the law, right? I'm not going to do something because someone tells me to do it. I'm going to do it because I want to do that. And so we, 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 have, we have this thing. Think about this. I was, I was asking Tracy today, I'm like, how many seasons has America's Funniest Videos been on? I don't know how many seasons. And I'm like, how do they keep making it? They change the person who's doing it. But every time I watch a little clip of that, I'm like, you know what? That show is successful because people love watching other people get hurt. We just can't get enough of it. I mean, people are falling off their bike, rolling down hills, and it's like, man, that is, that is the, the, the principle of the success of America's Funniest Videos is, is that we enjoy watching the pain of, 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 other, of other people. Well, so... Think about this. When, when someone is excited about something, their excitement and passion is contagious. Is that right? So we're talking about Jesus. We're excited about Jesus. We're passionate about Jesus. It, it, it spreads over in, in, into other things. But think about this. I, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for infomercials. And what gets me about infomercials is they're so passionate. Like, you know, you watch this, this guy yelling and screaming about how OxyClean has change the world, and, and it can get out any stain. I'm telling Tracy, you know, Tracy walks through a little five minutes later, I'm like, hey, babe, I think we need to invest in OxyClean. It will revolutionize our laundry. And she's like, you watch that, you watch that whole thing? Well, no, it was just on, you know. What, what about Flex Seal? Have any of y'all seen the commercial of Flex Seal? They cut a hole in the boat. They put a screen on the bottom of the boat, and they spray that suck with Flex to let it dry, and they're driving the boat on the lake. Now, I have a boat. I know what you're thinking. No, I didn't have a thought about that. I, I like my boat. My boat is nice, you know. So I started thinking about which one of my friends have old beat-up boats. And I go and talk to them. I'm telling them about, and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm like, hey, you, you think we should try it? You know, I got not one person to volunteer their boat. Not one person volunteered to, to, do, their, to do their boat. But the point is this, that when we experience the love of Jesus and he changed our life, we should naturally want to share Jesus with our friends so they can experience the same results. But here, here's the problem in Christianity is we have a motivation problem. The motivation is love. That's why we want to share it. The motivation is love. It's not so that we can say, oh, we did this. We led someone to the Lord. We, we spent hours talking to people. No, the motivation is love is that we've received the love and the benefits that come from Jesus in our life, and we really want other people around us to experience the same thing. So Paul, here at the very end of Galatians, in Galatians 6, Paul gives us some practical advice on how to share our love for Jesus. And I love Paul because he's so practical. So he's, he's teaching us doctrinal things about how to be free, about how to stay under grace, how to get out of the law. But then he says, you know, once you get free, there's a responsibility. And then he gives us practical ways that, that we can carry out this responsibility. Galatians 6.10, it says this. Therefore, 
as we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. So here's the thing. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and here's what I want you to think about right now. What opportunities do I have to share the love of Jesus? And you know what a lot of Christians think is, see, after we're Christians for a little bit, our, our, our social groups change, and we think, well, we really don't have any opportunities to share Jesus anymore because we hang around Christians all the time. But Paul goes on beyond this, and I think he gives us three things. So let's look at this. We're going to talk today about living to make a difference. After Christ has made a difference in us, the responsibility is that we live, hopefully, to make a difference in our world, to make a difference in our communities, to make a difference in our church, to make a difference in our families, in all of our social settings. So the first thing, if you're going to live to make a difference, the first thing you have to do is this. You have to identify your sphere of influence. Identify your sphere of influence. And the thought is this. Every one of us, we're going to leave church today. And we're going to go to work tomorrow or go out in the world. And every one of us have, have a different realm of influence. We're all going in different ways. We all have a sphere or a realm of influence. So what this says is that we specifically identify the people that God has placed in our lives. We write their names down. And here's the thought. God has created uh, you for a purpose, and he's placed all the people that you come into contact with every day, he's placed them there for a reason. And see, a lot of times people think, oh, we can't change the world, we can't change the community, so let's do nothing. But think of how powerful it would be if everyone in the Houston area that's in church, in a church today, they went out tomorrow and, and try to influence their sphere of influence, the people that they associate with. We would have hundreds and thousands of people out there in the marketplace, you know, at work, um, at sporting events, at home, you know, doing hobbies, trying to influence people who, who need help. And uh, Rick Warren, I think most everyone knows Rick Warren. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church. Years ago, he, he, he drew this diagram, and he, what he labeled it, he labeled it fishing in my mission pond. And what he means by that is this. You know, everyone that I come into contact with this week, they're in my realm of influence. And he even goes further to say that we have an obligation, really, or better yet, we have a responsibility to, to try to influence the people that we contact with every day. And again, the beautiful thing is we all go in different directions, so we all have a different mission pond. We all have a different uh, realm of influence. In 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul, Paul puts it this way, but we will not boast beyond limits. We will boast only with regard, listen to this, to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So think of us, we all have an area of influence. All of our areas of influence are, are, are different. We can't make a significant difference on our own, but if each one of us does our part, if each one of us has, says, man, I have a responsibility to influence the people that I interact with on a daily, weekly, bi-weekly uh, basis, then what happens is we have pockets of people all over our community being influenced by people 
who are in love with Jesus and want to share his love with others. And if you break it down, your realm of influence, it really it boils down to three things. First of all, people, the people that you interact with on, on a daily, several times a week, weekly or, or biweekly uh, timetable. The places you go, we all go different places. So it's people, places we go, and then our passions. And so, uh, you know, we naturally line up with people who have the same types of passions that we do. So we use, we use our passions as a way to connect with other people. So we have to identify our, our realm, our sphere of influence. So I, I want you to do this. When you go home today, just make a circle, make a circle, and put some lines out of there. One is work, one is family, one is recreation, one is social groups. And just maybe you list two or three people from each area that you know you kind of have a relationship with, that you know you could influence if you really started praying and asking God to help you, uh, you know, to, to, to reach that person. So we identify our, our realm or sphere of influence. And the second thing is this, that we meet people in their place of need. We meet people in their place of need. Uh, you know, basically, earlier we read that we're supposed to share one another's burdens. So as we rub shoulders with these people in our, in our realm of influence, whether it's at work, a family outing in the neighborhood, a softball game, as we rub shoulders with these people, we get to learn about their fears, their concerns, their hurts, and their worries. Now, here, here's what I've learned. If you want to listen at all, people will always share more information than you really care to know. Have you noticed that? Even quiet people. As a matter of fact, my, my pastor, Brother Francis, he always, he always said that if he gets fired at the church, he's going he's gonna to rent an office space down in middle, downtown Lafayette, and he's just going to put a sign in the front, we'll listen to your problems. He said, I'll have more business, you know. He said, I'm not going to offer any solutions because people just want to share their problems when they're hurting, when they're worried, when they're disgusted, when they, and, and what I'm amazed about is you don't even have to know somebody well for them to share stuff in, 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 in most, in most situations. Have you noticed that? You're like, man, too much information. So, now, so our, we're modeling our life after Jesus, so I want you to think about this. When you read the gospel, Jesus was always concerned about people's needs. When a blind person came up to Jesus, what did Jesus do? Not a trick question. He healed their eyes, right? When a leprous person came up to Jesus, what did he do? He cured them of leprosy. When Zacchaeus, who didn't have any friends, climbed up in a tree, what did Jesus do? He went and had lunch with him. Now, in none of those situations did he deal with their spiritual condition first. He always dealt with their basic need. And what Jesus shows us, if you care enough for someone to help meet a need, see, we, so when we're rubbing shoulders with people, we find a need and we fill it. We find a need and fill it. That, that's what Christianity is about. That's what the love of Jesus is all about. So after Jesus, after Jesus met their needs, he always had the opportunity to speak in their spiritual lives. See, what we do in church is we want to tell people how they're doing things wrong. How many know if you've got problems, you already know you're doing something wrong? You may, I mean, you may not confess to that. And so sometimes if you have a need, 
You don't want someone to tell you that you need Jesus. You want somebody to help you with that need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a diagram on the screen. Put the diagram of, so there was a guy by the name of, of Abraham Maslow. And in 1943, he developed a basic hierarchy of human needs. He was a psychologist. And, and so he did all this research and he said, these are, are the five areas of people's greatest need. Now, if you've gone to college, you don't even have to have finished college. If you took an entry-level psychology class, you saw this and you read about Abraham Maslow. You may not remember it, but, but, but you did. You may have slept through that class, but it was there. I promise you, you have seen it. And he said, so look, look at the bottom is physiological needs. And what he says is, I mean, the most basic need of people is to have enough food, to have a place to live, you know, to have water, to have sleep. Today, that would be a, to have a car to get places. That's the, bottom, the basic needs. And after the basic needs are met, it goes up to safety and security. And by safety and security, uh, what they say is, you know, people's personal safety and security, employment, being employed, having enough resources, property, and things like that. Once those two basic needs are met, the next one is that everyone wants to be loved and accepted. And that's the reason why why do people join gangs? Why do people join criminal groups and activities? It's because those people could not find acceptance anywhere else, and those criminals, those gangs, gave them acceptance. And so that's the third basic need. And the, the fourth one is this, is esteem. And he labeled it as that, that everybody wants respect, status, recognition, and freedom. And the last level is this, is, he calls it self-actualization, uh, is everyone wants the, the end goal, if you're going to go all the way up these needs, the last need, but probably maybe one of the most important, is that everyone wants to feel important, that everybody wants to reach their full potential. Okay? So we look at these needs. Now let me give you a little bit of help here. Here's the point. If you're talking with somebody and they don't have enough food, don't tell them Jesus loves them. Give them food. Give, I mean, it sounds hard, but it's not that hard. Give them food, okay? And if somebody's car is broke down, you know, don't tell them you'll pray for them. Find a way to get their car fixed. If you don't have enough money, pull money in, go to your church, whatever. Find a way to get their car fixed, okay? And, and, and here, here's the thought. The thought is this, is that if we meet needs in love, we will later have an opportunity to share Jesus as much as we want because we've won their hearts. They know that we, they know that we really care about them. They know that we're really willing to, to, to help them out. We're willing to go the extra mile. So look, look at this thing. If, so if they have all their physiological needs met and if they safety, security, employment, then the third step up is this. It's where a lot of people are. A lot of people even though they're successful financially, they don't feel loved and accepted. They don't feel loved and acceptance. And th th what they really want in their life is an intimate friendship, uh, some type of friendship or group that makes them feel uh, loved and, and, and successful. In Matthew 25, verse 34 through 40, look at this verse. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will, re- will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. And, and so Jesus says, when we meet needs in love, we're, we're, we're doing it in his name and, and, and he, he's, he, he sees it, and, uh, and it's, it's of great value to him. So we identify, if we want to make a difference in our lives, we, we first of all, we identify our realm of influence. This is the first thing is, because when you identify your realm of influence and write names down, it, it, makes, it, it makes it real, it makes it authentic, it, it gives you something to shoot for. Then we begin, when we rub shoulders with these people, we're going to find you know, what, what's, what's really concerning them? Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's their kids. We, so we, 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 we find out what their needs are and we meet the need. And the third thing we do is this, is that we, we point them to Jesus and his church. And here's, here's what I want to warn you on. If, if, you, if we are not careful when we start to meet the needs of others, we can actually take their needs on ourselves. And then we're as bad off as them. I mean, when, I first, when we first started family life here, we had people coming up and, and they were needing things. And, and I had to go talk to another pastor who was older than me because I was feeling bad trying to help all these people. And he told me, Terry, you're looking at this all wrong. He said, the people that are coming to you, their problem wasn't created overnight. It's been years in the making. And you're letting them come to you. You're letting them transfer their problem to you. And now you're just as depressed as they are. I said, well, man, you have a point, you know? And uh, so we don't take on the burden. We don't, we don't take on the burden. And the next thing is this, is that if we take on this burden and if it's just about us meeting their, na- their need, if we never point them to Jesus, what happens is we make them people dependent instead of God dependent. And let's face it, uh, you and I, we can only do so much to help somebody, right? But if we get them to Jesus, if they start learning what it means to grow, if they start reading their Bibles, if they get into a church and start growing and taking classes to help them with their finances and taking classes to help them with their marriage, taking classes to help them be a better parent, see, then, then we've raised them above their problem because now they've gained information and now they have a connection and relationship with Jesus. So they're not in the same condition uh, that they used to be. So I want, I want to share a principle with you. There was a book written. It's probably in, I don't know, the book is older. I read it maybe two years ago. And the name of the book is called Discipling Nations by a guy named Darrow Miller. And this is what he says. He's done all this research. And he said, he said, uh, Jesus did not call us to win people to him. He called us to disciple people. Okay, now think about this. And he, he, he does extensive research, and here's what he says. He says, society today, and the church has fallen into it, what we do is when there's a problem, we throw money at it. 
We just throw money at it. I mean, think, think, about, think about the United States. Every, you can go find this on your own. We give billions of dollars away in, in, in the name of foreign affairs to help people. In some cases, we've poured hundreds of billions of dollars into countries, but the countries are still in the same position. We didn't help them. We just made ourselves feel better. I mean, think, think about this. I, and I'm not telling you not to give, but what I'm saying, what Daryl Miller found was this. If you give somebody money, but they don't change their way of thinking, they're no better off. And he, he went through all this and he found, you know, for example, there, there are certain places in the world where they can't grow enough food because they have rats and pests eating all their, eating all their food. Well, common sense would say, well, let's, let's, uh, let's use pesticides so the rats don't, and, and animals don't eat all the food. But they can't do that because they believe in reincarnation. And that the animals that you're wanting to kill by pesticides, it could be one of their relatives who've come back to reincarnation. So, so they can grow enough food, but they can't because of their belief system. So if they come to meet Jesus and they understand how it is, now they're free to do really some common sense things that would allow them to, to prove for themselves. But, but think about this. How many of us, <clears throat> whether it's family members or somebody in our neighborhood or some, uh, an acquaintance, we've poured time into them, we've poured money into them, but they're no better off for two reasons. Either one, we haven't shared, we haven't pointed them to Jesus, or number two, because they don't want they don't want the help. See, I have a policy here at church, and I say this, you know, openly, but we help everyone in our church. There, there never has someone come to me in our church that we have not helped. We help a lot of people outside of our church. We don't have enough money to, to help them all. But I have a policy. Listen, if the church helps you a time or two with your finances and you keep coming back, then we have to help you with your finances, so I need you to take the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace class so you can learn how to manage your money. The church is going to pay for that so you can do that. But if you don't take the Dave Ramsey class, we're not going to be able to keep helping you every month indefinitely because we don't have enough money to do that. See, that, that, that's, that's trying. Am I communicating? Y'all are looking at me like I'm mean this morning. But we all, we have family members that's like, you know, it, the money doesn't help because they never change they never change their thinking. They never change their behavior. And so the goal is when we feel a need, when we feel a need, the next step is, hey, we've got to introduce them to Jesus. We have got to get them in a local church. And I don't care if they come to Family Life, another church. There are a lot of good churches in our area. But if we don't get them to where they can grow and have a relationship with the Lord, if they keep doing life the same way they've been doing it, they're going to have the same problem. And so we don't want to enable somebody. We want to empower somebody. And to empower somebody, we have to get them to Jesus. Let's be honest. You and I really, we can't even solve their problems anyway. It's Jesus, right? It's him giving us wisdom on, on, on how, how to help them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. We're finishing up here. The band can go ahead and come up. It says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's the burden lifter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close reading Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15. Look at this, it says, but the godly will flourish 
like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. And all those things, that means you're really strong, you have deep roots. Look at, look at this. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house, and they flourish in the courts of our God even in old age. They will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. So it, look what it says. The reason that they're strong, the reason that they're enduring is because they have been transplanted where? Into the house of God. And then it says this, when people find Jesus, when people get involved in church life and are building relationships with Jesus and relationships with others and accountability, look what it says. It says, They've been transplanted. They flourish in the courts of our God. And even in old age, they still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. See, what happens is when we meet a need and we help somebody and we introduce them to Jesus and get them into a church, what happens is what we did for them, they're now doing for other people. They don't need help anymore. Now they're producing fruit. They're, they're meeting the needs of others. And they're pointing other people back to Jesus. And, and so I, I just want you to get you this thing in your mind is that our goal is, is not to make people dependent upon us. Our goal is to assist them, to bless them, to help them the best way we can. And then we have to take them to the person who's helped us. Come on, church. We have to take them to Jesus. We have to take them. We have to point the way to them. And honestly, some don't want to go there. But I believe this, as we help people, as we bless people, as we demonstrate the love of Jesus in our lives for other people, you know what I think? I think a lot of people are, would be willing to meet Jesus if they see the love of Jesus in us. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, what a way, what a way to, to finish up this book today. And, you know, again, Galatians is all about finding freedom, moving from the law to the grace. And then today, Paul just gave us some practical things is that, man, after we're free, we have a responsibility. We're not supposed to live selfishly. We have a responsibility to replicate what's happened in us in, in, in people around us. He said we can identify the people around us who may need help. We can meet them in their place of need. And then we can point them to Jesus and hopefully one day his church. Would you, would you just bow your head and just allow the Holy Spirit to talk, to, to speak with you for a moment before we close in prayer?